church. <laughs> Lord, continue to speak to us now. Amen. Jesus is coming soon. 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 I want to continue saying those four words so that something of that reality can get deep within your hearts, deep within your minds, deep within everything that you are. Why? Because that reality will change everything about the way that you live your life. In this moment, today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter. It'll change your priorities. It'll change what's really important to you. It'll change the topic of your conversations. It'll change the way you handle suffering, trials, tribulations. It'll change everything. Jesus is coming soon. And why do I say that Jesus is coming soon? Well, first of all, the Spirit within me is, is testifying and witnessing to that fact. And also because Jesus said it Himself in Scripture. I want, to, I want us to look for a moment at the book of Revelation. If I can get Revelation 1-1 up behind me. And in the first verse of Revelation, it tells us what this book is, as well as why God gave it to John. We read the revelation of Jesus Christ, that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So we need to realize that it's clearly and simply stated here what the book of Revelation is. We see it, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who wants the revelation of Jesus Christ? I know I do. And we see the purpose for the book, the reason it was given to John to write down and to eventually give to us through the ages is to show us what must soon take place. And a logical question to ask next is, well, what do we do with this revelation? I want to look at verse 3 where it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. One translation says, Take to heart what is written in it. I know me personally, <laughs> when Scripture says, Blessed is this type of person, I want to be that type of person. And what's so cool is I'm going to actually read aloud some of the words of this prophecy this morning, knowing I am blessed as I do so. And what's just as exciting and as amazing is you also get to be one of those people that Scripture calls blessed because you get to hear the words of this prophecy and keep and take to heart what is written in it. 
It's beautiful. And why are we doing this? Because the time is near. Because the time is near. And I feel like God has been inviting us into this reality this morning already. What time is near? And I feel like he is reminding of us of this beautiful, incredible, eternal story that he has created and written and designed before the earth was even formed and before we were even formed. There's this beautiful eternal star that we are right in the middle of. And because of where we are in it, we actually can see so much of it that's already taken place. The insanity of creation, the insanity of how we showed such love and mercy and grace to the Israelites, calling them out of Egypt, the insanity of sending his son to the earth to die on a cross for us, for our sin, to rise again, to ascend back to heaven. I mean, it's, it's an incredible storyline. And we're a part of it. Like He actually includes us in this storyline. He's designed good works to do with him as part of this incredible eternal story that he's writing. And he's also helping us to realize that he's actually told us how the story ends. He's actually already told us in many ways how this story ends. And it's so important to realize we are in the part of this incredible story with God that he has already revealed to us how it's going to end. And the most glorious part, the climax, the ending of this incredible story, is it's, it's literally at our door. It is literally at our door. Let's look at Revelation 21, starting in verse 3. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. So we see the beautiful climax and ending of the story that we are in with the Lord. God himself will dwell and will live with us. He will be with us, and he will be our God. <laughs> Can you see why someone is blessed to read these words aloud? Can you see why someone is blessed to hear these words and to take them to heart? It changes everything. Jesus is coming soon. In the last chapter of this incredible book, we see Jesus say it three times in case we missed it. Revelation 22, verse 6. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. 
The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's go down a few verses. Verse 12. Look, I am coming soon. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. One more, verse 20. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Is that the cry of your heart? Come, Lord Jesus. And in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon, I want to look at one of Jesus' final parables that he gave his disciples this morning together with you. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. going to read the parable together, then I want to highlight some of the things I think the Lord wants to, to bring out from it this morning. Starting in verse 1, Matthew chapter 25. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says, at that time, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. When the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here's the groom! Come out to meet him. Then... All of the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, No, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. He replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. So let's look at this parable together, and first we need to see that it begins with the phrase, at that time. So we need to ask the question, what time is or was Jesus speaking of here when he told this parable? We see in Matthew 24, verse 3, that the disciples had asked him, Jesus, what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And after they asked Jesus this question, the remainder of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, where we find this parable, is actually Jesus' reply to that question that his disciples asked him. 
What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so this parable is given in light of his return. It's given in light of his coming again and in light of the end of the age. So as we read this parable about a groom and about a wedding banquet, we have to keep in mind his coming and the end of the age. And for that reason, I want to briefly return to Revelation where we're actually told Again, about this incredible storyline, how it's actually going to play out. There's going to be a groom, and there's going to be a wedding banquet. We're told this in Revelation. Chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. So again, this beautiful ending to this incredible story that we are a part of, where we're told here there's going to be a marriage feast, where Jesus himself, the bridegroom, is married to us, his church, as his bride, after we have prepared ourselves. And again, Scripture tells us again, here's another person that's blessed. Blessed are those who are invited to this marriage feast. I want to be invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb when He returns. Amen? And so with this revelation in sight, let's now take a closer look at this parable in Matthew 25. And you'll see in this parable we see two types of people. We see wise people, and we see foolish people. And we need to realize that one of the groups, and only one, the wise group, was invited to the marriage feast of the groom. The other group, the foolish group, was not invited to the marriage feast of the groom, and therefore not allowed to enter when the groom finally came. And now realize, in light of Revelation 19, the ultimate marriage feast, realize the eternal significance of whether you fall in the wise group or the foolish group, and whether or not you are invited to the ultimate marriage feast of the Lamb. We need to see the significance here. Because one group, the wise group, remember, we read earlier in Revelation 21, the wise group, they will be children of God. God himself will be with them. And it will be more glorious than anything that we could possibly imagine or fathom. That's what's awaiting the wise group. It's incredible. But we also have to realize that the other group, the foolish group, has a very, very different fate awaiting them. And I want to to return once more to Revelation. It was given to us to show us what must soon take place. And I want to see what is awaiting those people in the foolish group. Revelation 20, verse 10. 
And here we read that the foolish group will be thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur with the devil and with the beast and the false prophet mentioned earlier in this prophecy. And if that wasn't bad enough, if being thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur with the devil and the beast and the false prophet and being forever separated from God, if that wasn't bad enough, it actually says that these people will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And this is why it is so important to see this eternal storyline that we are living in. Because it is a very big deal whether you are living as a wise person or a foolish person based on the way that God sees it. Based on the way that He has revealed to us through His Word. And He has revealed it. Amen? So again, with that in sight, let's look at the difference between those who were wise and those who were foolish. And the first thing I want to highlight in this parable of the ten virgins, is if you actually look closely at it, the foolish group doesn't really seem that foolish. They don't really seem that foolish. Why do I say that? First of all, we see that they were actually virgins. To me, that communicates a measure of godliness, a form of godliness, a measure of purity, a measure of holiness in the way that they ordered and lived their lives. Because sometimes we can just think, oh, the foolish people, those are the blatant sinners. Those are the murderers. Those are the adulterers. But in this parable, we, we don't see the foolish group portrayed that way. We see them portrayed as virgins. Secondly, I want you to see that the foolish group they also went out to meet the groom. They also went out to meet the groom. To me, that communicates a desire within them for him to come. They not only desired for him to come, they actually desired to be married to him. This was their desire. So again, a lot of times we can assume the foolish people are those that blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Those that knowingly reject Jesus and want nothing to do with him and are unapologetic about it. But again, that's not what's being portrayed here. And then thirdly, this foolish group, they were actually prepared in a lot of ways as they went out. They did prepare. We have to see that. Why do I say that? I realize they actually brought a lamp with them. They went out with the lamp. And you have to realize in their mind, they thought they had done enough to be prepared for his return. And for them to be married to him. They thought they had done enough. They thought they were prepared. And they only realized that they were not prepared when it was too late. It was only after circumstances played out. After the groom was delayed. After things happened differently than they expected. Than they thought that it was going to go. That they suddenly realized they were not prepared. And once that realization came... It was too late for them to now go try and do what was actually required and asked of them prior to that moment. What they should have done before the groom came. And church, this is one of the toughest scriptural realities for me as an elder in the church, as an under-shepherd of the great shepherd, 
who one day will give an account for the people that the Lord has entrusted to my care along with my fellow elders like Derek? Because we see something similar in Matthew 7. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. I mean, these are people that were doing what we would call good activities, godly activities. I mean, these are things that we do here, we teach here, we encourage you to do them. And not only that, they were actually doing them in the name of Jesus. And I imagine just like the foolish versions, these are people that showed a form of godliness. There are people that believed that they were prepared for Jesus' return. And that they desired to be with him and to be invited to that marriage feast. And Jesus says to this group, I never knew you. Depart from me. And that's just like what he told the foolish virgins in Matthew 25 when they, they knocked on the door. He said, I don't know you. I don't know you. And we have to realize that this group that Jesus talks about is not a few. It's not a couple. It's not that one that missed it. He says the size of this group will be many. Many people believing they are saved from hell and eternal torture only to find out on that last day they were wrong. And I don't want a single person in this room today to suffer that fate. I mean, to me, it's, it's horrible beyond measure. And that brings me to arguably the most important question you may ever be asked in your life. And that question is, <laughs> praise the Lord, timing is everything. Possibly the most important question you may ever be asked in your life. Does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? I'm not asking if you know Jesus or who he is. I'm not asking if you call yourself a Christian. I actually want you to consider the question I asked. Does Jesus know you? And your first response might be, come on, Pete, he's, he's the all-powerful, he's the all-knowing God. Of course he knows me, he knows everything. And in some ways, you're correct. I mean, he created you in his image. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He does know everything about you. And yet, in both Matthew 7 and Matthew 25, he tells many on that last day, I don't know you. And 
And for this reason, Jesus sums up the parable of the ten virgins after saying, I don't know you, by saying, therefore, be alert or keep watch. And in light of the fact that he just told them, I don't know you, he's actually giving us the key in the answer to what it looks like to be alert and to keep watch. And the way that we're actually prepared, the way that we're not caught surprised by his return, it's so profoundly beautiful. It's so profoundly simple. Are you ready for it? Make sure he knows you. Make sure he knows you. It's a call to intimacy with him. He's inviting you to intimacy with him. (laughs) And knowing this, it means that you, you throw off anything and everything that hinders you from intimacy with him. Because we see here how critical it is that he knows us. We have to realize that Jesus gives this call to intimacy in Matthew 25 just after he tells them what's actually coming in the days leading up to his return. And it's important for us to see that because I believe we're living in those days. Matthew 24, verse 9. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 9. Realize there are already saints that have been slaughtered because of the word of God and the testimony they had given about him. We see this in the news at times, yes, but we also see this again in Revelation chapter 6 when the fifth seal is opened. And we're told that more brothers and sisters are going to be killed just as those were before he returns. We also see that we will be hated, not just by the extreme nations that we we stay away from and know, we're aware of, that already hate us, But the world is going to reach a place that's so far from the kingdom, from what we see here, from what we're called to live in, that literally, if you identify with him, all nations will hate you. We see that, again, many will fall away. To me, implying that prior to falling away, these are people that would confess to be Christian. These are people that could possibly be sitting in a church building on a Sunday, and that many will fall away, but not only will they fall away, if you continue to follow Christ, they may actually betray you and hate you. So it's not even about them falling away, they may actually betray you and hate you if you don't fall away. Again, he says many are going to be deceived, not by one false prophet, by many false prophets and teachers, 
And he said, lawlessness is going to multiply to such a level around us that when we look at the circumstances around us, even if we have love now, the love for many is actually going to grow cold because of what's happening around us. That is what life in the world is going to look like as Jesus' return draws near. He's told us in advance. We're not to be surprised by this. But there's, there's an encouragement. because <laughs> This could be pretty heavy if we don't see the encouragement. There's an encouragement in verse, 10 that the, verse 13 that there is a type of person that will be saved. It's the one who endures to the end. The only way we're going to be able to endure, to overcome, to conquer these type of circumstances, which are coming, he has told us, is to be with him. As Chanel shared, it's to be rooted in him, immersed in him, immersed in his word, seeking his face, surrendered to him, listening to him, trusting him, fearfully following Him, intimately knowing Him so He knows us. Walking with Him, I heard that earlier this morning, walking with Him, like Enoch did, being known as a friend of God, like Abraham was. He just desires us to come close to Him. It's a call to intimacy. He's calling us closer. And I want to give a, a practical example and invite my wife up here to, to sit with me for a moment. I'm going to ask you guys to move this table maybe over here so they can see. I'm going to hold this while you do. Thank you. So if you haven't met us, if you're visiting this morning, this is my, I'm going to pull a Derek. <laughs> This is the incredible woman that God blessed me with to be my wife, who I deserved in no way, shape, or form. <laughs> Just an example of God's grace that he gives us sometimes, often when we don't deserve it. And I'm grateful for her, and I love her, and I, I thank the Lord for her. And I want to use her and us as an example right now to show us something. So in Ephesians 5, it says that the wife is to submit and really to relate to her husband as if unto the Lord. So realize the husband and wife relationship is actually symbolic of the relationship that we as his sons and daughters in church are called to have with him. So what does intimacy look like in the way that Sumeri, my wife, relates to me? Well, what are some of the things that she does? Well, she certainly does spend a lot of time with me. She spends a lot of time in my presence, sometimes really, really close, sometimes kind of hanging around the same room, but there's a lot of time physically with me and close to me that she spends. She talks to me a lot about all the things that are happening in her life. She asks me questions to get my perspective. What do I think on things that she's unsure of? She actually creates space for me to speak to her about the things on my heart <laughs> and what I want to do with her in ways that maybe she could even help me. Like, she asked me that question. It's amazing. She considers me in her actions. She considers me in her words. She considers me in her thoughts. 
when she's not physically with me, because there are times where she has to go away from me, she'll often think of me. She'll miss me. She'll find a way to communicate with me somehow when she's away from me, even if we're not face-to-face. She'll always have a plan to return back to being next to me after she's gone away. And sometimes she'll just rest in my arms and not say a word, completely and content and happy to just be in the presence of her husband, to just be close to her, to just know that I am there with her. Now imagine for a moment that my wife thought intimacy was supposed to look a different way. Imagine she thought that it meant that we were supposed to have a couple of appointments together each week. Perhaps two hours on a Sunday morning, perhaps two hours on a Wednesday night. And during those times, um, she won't always talk to me. A lot of times she'll be talking to the other people that are under the same roof. Uh, Occasionally she might talk to me. Occasionally she might come over and tell me how much she loves me. Occasionally she might create space to see if I want to actually tell her something. But essentially, we have these, these two appointments under the same roof twice a week. The rest of the week, every now and again, she may come and sit really close to me, oftentimes setting her timer for 15 minutes. During that time, she will talk to me. She'll try and, and ask and determine what's on my heart. What do I want to tell her? How can she help me? And she'll do that. But after those 15 minutes are up, I never see her or hear from her again the rest of the day. She doesn't talk to me outside of those times. She doesn't create space for me to talk to her. In fact, it feels like she has no interest whatsoever in what I think outside of those 15-minute times. Can you imagine a wife treating intimacy with her husband that way? And yet, how often is Jesus treated exactly that way by those that are his bride? And I know there's a temptation sometimes when we hear a message like this. Depending on our our background, we can want to react the way we always thought we should react. So you might hear this message and be like, yo, this week, I'm going to spend 30 minutes sitting really close to him. We do that, right? I'm going to spend 30 minutes sitting really close to him, really close. That's twice as much as I was doing before. 30 minutes with him. And then disappear. Not to talk to him until that next time comes again. Not to be available if he wants to talk to you, if he wants to remind you how much he loves you, if he wants to share his heart with you. I think the Lord wants to completely help us see what intimacy with him is supposed to look like. I think he wants to shift paradigms. We had that word earlier about showing us something new and breaking boxes. I think he wants to break boxes and shift paradigms on what intimacy with him is really supposed to look like. Because we can read a verse like, never stop praying, pray without ceasing, and we could just beat ourselves up. 
We can think there's a task I'll never get right. When God is saying, don't you understand? All I want to do is talk to you every single moment of the day to encourage you, to strengthen you, to remind you how much I love you, to remind you I'm coming again and it's going to be glorious and I'm going to be with you. This is what he's inviting us to. This is intimacy. It's so beautiful. And that's the call that he's saying. Thank you, my love. You can grab Wayne Tonda, if I can ask you to come up. Actually, before you play, Oyentanda had a dream last night. Uh, I do believe the Lord wants to use it. So if you can briefly just share what, uh, what your dream was. Let me share it there if you want. Yeah. If you want to share what your dream was, what you felt the Lord was encouraging us in. Cool. <laughs> so last night I just had a dream. It was a bit not weird, but yeah. Uh, so I dreamed that uh, there was just this lady or one girl that she got engaged and while she got engaged, she was so excited about it. Like, she was blasting about it because she got engaged and she had a ring. And she was, like, going around, getting excited, telling people, um, trying even to change the way she is at the moment, um, looking forward to, oh, sorry, looking forward to, to, to the day that she will be married. And I just woke up and then, uh, and then I prayed and I asked the Lord, like, show me what, what is the dream about? And I felt for us as a Wellington congregation, God is calling us into that excitement of holding on in His promises. Uh, just as that lady was so excited of getting married, I felt like us for, for the congregation, and that we will have that such a burning heart of excitement that He's coming back. That excitement, that it won't be just a teaching or just a preaching that oh, it's just something we can just brush. But this is actually a promise. Jesus is coming back. And actually we will start to live like that day now. And we'll start to take our things in our lives and say we are preparing ourselves for the bride to come. Oh, for the groom to come. Thank you. The Lord is speaking and he's inviting us. Ask everyone to stand, please. Right where you are, actually, I actually want you, I, I so, so felt something on as we were saying early, his name is Jesus. As you stand right, actually in your chair, I want you just to say, continue saying Jesus. 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 Because I want to wait on him for a moment. Oh, there's power in the name of Jesus. <laughs> oh, there's power in the name of Jesus. <laughs> oh, I believe the Lord. We sang it earlier. We said, pour out your power in love. I believe the Lord wants to pour out His power and love this morning on each and every person that is here. 
See, the Lord did know you, and he does know you. 